Episode 31, College Recruiting. Joseph Ross said the following, It takes time to succeed because success is merely the natural reward for taking the time to do anything well. And in my opinion, that ties in perfectly to what we're going to discuss today in college recruiting. Answer me this, and this is a problem-solving question. How do you stand out when a college coach is going to evaluate 10,000 student-athletes and offer three roster spots? So I'm not going to give you the answer now. I want you to actually think about it. But what I do want to tell you is this. I have solutions for you. So you're going to find out toward the end of the episode what that's going to be. But just stay tuned. I'm going to give you some secrets and tips to break down in the college recruiting process and some ways to beat the system or really to dominate the system. Look, I was in your shoes. So if you're somebody that wants to go to college and be a student athlete, please, please, please. Take my advice and heed this warning. If you think for a minute that a college coach is going to come recruit you from the school that you want to go to, so let's pretend, for example, you want to go to UCF, it is not going to happen. So heed my warning now. If you think that just because you're playing for X club, right, that UCF's coach is going to come scout you, it is not going to happen unless... You are a 1% athlete, which means you are a national team player or something like that, where you're that high of a level, then you're going to be scouted by the big schools. I need you to understand that point immediately right now, because otherwise, if you are a 99% player looking to go to play college soccer and be a student athlete, if you don't learn about how the college recruiting process works, ASAP, you're going to be screwed like I was, and I was almost completely screwed out of the recruiting process because I didn't know the steps. So what I mean by that is the second you walk into high school, the second you walk into high school as a ninth grader, the process starts, right? If you want to be successful in the recruiting process, it, it starts the moment you walk through the door. To give you a personal example, I played at St. Leo University. My coach had a whiteboard with his top recruits for four years in advance. So he'd have four years, three years, two years, and the current year, right, of who he's going to recruit. So that was a, that was a Division II school in CAA. We were one of the top 10, 15 in the country every single year. And he had four years in advance of what he was recruiting. So imagine that for one second, okay? And those were his top recruits that he had three players on. He probably had a database of, 10,000 other student athletes on a spreadsheet somewhere that he was constantly evaluating. So they don't, college coaches do not know who you are. So if you're not going out there and putting your name out, you're done. And you, you really, um, it, it drives me crazy because you need to listen to this advice. So the second you walk into high school, it starts. You need to start the process. The second issue that's now happening more, and, and this actually, you can hear this from the podcast episode I had with Coach Safe, who's one of the top college coaches in the country, more and more schools are recruiting international talent. One, the process is becoming easier. Two, the talent level is going to be higher overall. The reason why is most of the players coming over come from top countries. So you're looking at England, France, Germany, Spain, Belgium, 
right? Top European countries, you even have some Scandinavian countries like Sweden, right? And they're still high-level players. And uh, their development process is going to be more further along than an American player. And that's because they're playing for clubs that are trying to develop pros, not just for clubs that take your money and run, as an example, right? A lot of clubs in, the, in this country do that. There are some that develop, for sure. But from a general standpoint, most clubs in this country, in the United States at least, don't develop top talent. So the players that are coming over from international areas, whether it's South America or Europe, their level's higher. And to give you a final example with that, last year I watched UCF play against Jacksonville. I went to go watch Inti play, one of my players, who plays D1, NCA. And the entire starting 11, every single player on the UCF roster for the starting 11 was an international player. German, French, English, Spanish, right? All the countries I just listed for you. They were, every, every single one was an international player on the starting 11. So there was not a single American at one of the biggest schools in the country. Every single player was international. So you can already see there, right? Just from that one circumstance, the competition level that you're up against if you're trying to be a college player because these guys that aren't making it as pros have options to come to the United States because our coaches in the college system are going to recruit them because the level's higher and they have an interest to actually want to be there and can make a difference. They maybe have more experience. Maybe they have a better mental state. Uh, there's a whole bunch of scenarios that go into this, but I just want you to understand that those type of things are happening week in and week out at the college level. And it doesn't matter if it's a top Division One school or a Division Three. The same process is happening where players are being identified internationally more and more and more and more and more. So I want you to take that insight and what you need to start doing now is thinking about how can you counteract that. And this is why this episode's come to fruition. And that's because I want to try and give you some tools to help you understand how to beat the process, right? How to dominate that process. So the first thing is, right, if you want to stand out in this process, and Coach Safe mentioned it on the other episode that I did with him. And he talked about how he receives 30 emails a day. So what that should tell you is everybody's sending an email. The question now becomes, how do you stand out in this process? Because the reality is you're at... As an American, you're at a disadvantage because if it's easier now to go get international players, why are colleges or college coaches going to pick the American player, right? Just like with the UCF example. Now, you need to figure out how do you stand out. So I'm not going to give you the answer because I want you to really think about it because it shouldn't just be me saying, hey, here's your answer. Think about it. If a college coach is sending or getting rather 30 emails a day on average, how do you think you could stand out? So that's the first thing I want you to think about. The second thing is, right, in this process, you need to be constantly communicating. And I'm not going to give you the answer of what that means. I want you to think about it. But how can you stand out in this process by not just sending an email? And how do you constantly communicate? Because the thing that you're going to find out is college coaches don't want to be speaking to mom and dad. They want to be speaking to their prospective student athlete. So you need to figure out how do you work around that system, okay? What you really need to do first, though, is create a list. Generate a school list of, let's say, 40 schools that you would think would be a good fit. Now, understand, 
that this list is going to change. What I mean is, just because you start your freshman year and you write down 40 schools, your mind is going to change in this process. I'm a perfect example. I thought at first that I would love to go to a big Division I school, you know, a 40, 50, 60, 70,000 person campus. And um, after visiting a couple of schools at that size, I realized that that would not be a good fit for me because I'd probably get into trouble. I'd probably, you know, have issue with class in terms of grades and I would get caught up with the wrong people because it's easier with the bigger school. So those are the type of things that I found for me that I needed a smaller school so I could focus on academics and perform better on the field because you don't want to fall into the wrong traps. And those are things that can set you back majorly. Okay, now those are things that you're going to evaluate during your process as you're going through the, rec- the college recruiting process. And it's okay for you to change your mind, but you need to develop that list. Have a general idea of the top, say, 40 schools that you're interested in. And there's like nine categories that you should really try to identify through. Um, the three primary ones, of course, are going to be academics, they're going to be athletics, and they're going to be the size of the school, right? Tie in social, right? With that. So, Understand what you want to try and study academically, what you want to play athletically, and then the size or the social aspects of the campus. Those are very important things. Um, and then really the final one would be location, right? Think about it. Where would you want to play or live for college? Me, I wanted to stay or live in Florida because I used to live up north in Virginia where it was much colder and I don't like the cold. So coming to Florida was a good solution because I can enjoy year-round warm weather and For me, that was a great solution, and it worked out in the end. But it just depends on what you're looking for. And again, these things are going to change because you might realize that, ah, you know, maybe I want to have colder weather. Maybe I want to be in the sun 24-7. And those are things that you're going to have to identify to help you get through that. Okay, the other side is a lot of people think that you're going to get a full ride to play college soccer. And I'm going to be really, really honest here, and you can find it in the same podcast episode I did with Coach Safe. He's never once given a full athletic scholarship, ever. In eight years of coaching college, not once has he given a full athletic scholarship. That means money just from the sport, so soccer or football, right? But that doesn't mean student-athletes haven't gotten full rides. There's a difference. What that means is a full ride is that the tuition is completely covered. So the school covers it. That can include grant money, athletic money, and academic money. Because the thing about college recruiting is, at least in soccer, we don't get a lot of scholarships. They they don't have them. They get six, seven scholarships per team. So if you go to UCF, they're going to have seven, eight, nine scholarships, right? For a roster of 30 players, they're going to have seven, eight, nine scholarships available. Which means that they're going to have to tie in additional money to give a player a full ride because otherwise they're going to they're going to put down a bunch of money for one player and it's not going to be feasible in the long run because if they only have one player that's an elite level and they don't have the rest it's going to be hard to put the whole process together to challenge for say a national title okay now those are things that a lot of people don't think about but it's not realistic for you to receive a full athletic scholarship Unless you're like a national team player or something like I mentioned before, then you might get a full athletic scholarship. Now, I want to educate you a little bit on what are really the, the differences between, say, Division One, Division Two, II, Division Three, so on and so forth. Okay. Now, really, 
the bottom line is this. The main difference between Division One, Division Two, Division Three is funding and employment. What I mean by that is at the NCAA Division One level, or in order to be a Division One school athletically, you need to have the greatest amount of funding that your school provides to the athletic programs. And then two, employment of individuals that work in athletics. So the smaller the division or the lower division, three, two, and one, or if you go to two, you go to three, the less individuals need to be on staff and the less amount of funding the university has to give the program for athletics. And that right there, folks, is the only way to separate universities in terms of athletically, division one, division two, division three. And actually, interestingly enough, normally NAIA schools, which is a completely different um, program for college athletics, there's NCA and there's NAIA, NAIA will typically have the ability to give more athletic scholarships per program um, or per sport, especially for soccer. So they're going to get two or three more, typically more uh, scholarships than say an NCA school. And that's just the way the process works for NAIA. They, they have more flexibility, so to speak, for schools like that. Now, the recruiting process is actually probably a little bit simpler for NAIA schools because they can start recruiting athletes freshman year. Whereas, say, an NCAA Division I can't start the recruiting process from their end, from the school perspective. So a college coach can't go after freshmen. They can have a list, but they can't really start going after players or student-athletes or potential student-athletes. It only works when they hit the junior. That's when communication goes live. But lower divisions, two and three, have a little bit less. Actually, two doesn't, but three does. And NAIA does, where they can start recruiting immediately. Now, most people want to play Division I because they think that Division I means the best. And that's not necessarily true. It's marketing, right? Everything that hopefully you're learning from this podcast and what you're seeing from experience is telling you that everything related to this game in general is based around marketing. And the NCAA Division I has been marketed as the elite level. Now, there are elite schools in NCAA Division I, but that doesn't mean it's the elite level because you can play for a very strong Division II program, and I did, and I have friends that did, and what I mean is that we would compete against top Division I programs and not lose games, and we just had a strong, strong, strong program, but as I mentioned earlier, the only main difference is funding and employment, so those are things that change the game a little bit for individuals is that it's based around that, and if you go to a school that offers you good money and it fits for you, why not? You don't have to go to a big school. Now, the last thing I really want you to think about, because this is really important, is that you need to make a decision on what you're comfortable with. Essentially, I mean, are you comfortable going in your freshman year and not playing? Because you can go to a big program, whether it's Division One, Division Two, II, Division Three, NAIA, and not play because it's a big program in terms of success, in terms of players, things like that. Or you might want to go to a smaller school that isn't as strong athletically and then dominate, right? And then be the starter. And and you have to kind of determine what you feel is best for you. Are you willing to go and fight for a spot or do you want to be the starter? And that's not an easy decision to make because, of course, you want to play the most. But you probably also want to play at the highest level that you can. And the highest level would be the schools that are stronger overall in terms of athletic competition, right? Being able to compete for conference titles, compete for the national championship. And 
Smaller schools may not be able to do that unless you're that much of a game changer. So those are things that you need to evaluate. What are you looking for? Are you looking more for a starting position? Are you okay with not playing so much your freshman year and sophomore year and then coming in hard on your junior year? And those are things that you're going to have to make a decision on and evaluate. Now, here's how I can actually help you. And I gave you those earlier things to think about, like how do you stand out in the process without sending an email? I've actually put together a completely free course, at least for limited time, right? It's free for now. And I'll put the link in the description for this episode so that way you can get it. It's 45 minutes long. It might be like 43. And it will walk you through. It's an introduction to college recruiting. It takes 43 minutes. You don't need to do anything except take the course. And uh, you'll have a much greater insight into the process. And this is something that I wish I had when I was a kid because I started this process three years too late. And I didn't start college recruiting until I was almost a senior. So I don't want you to make my mistakes. I've already told you from this episode, it needs to start the minute you walk into high school. And if you don't, you're going to be at a big, big, big disadvantage. And I don't want that for you. And remember, I just told you this course is free for a limited time. I can't promise that's going to be free forever. But what I can tell you is for a limited time, it's going to be free. So take it, learn from it, and I'll put the link in the description of this episode so that way you don't make the same mistakes I did. Okay, lead, listen, heed my warning, and go ahead and take this course because it will really help you understand how to maneuver through the college recruiting process during all four years. Okay, so take it, enjoy it. Um, You can do it as a player or a parent. In fact, I recommend that you both do it together because parents, you do have a role to play. Although the role needs to be dominated by the student athlete, you can help guide and support them. Okay, anyways, guys, uh, thank you for checking out this episode and I will see you in a future one. And don't forget, the link will be in the description of of this episode. Have a great rest of your day.